Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. It's Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. Oh, my God. I'm looking at the front page of the New York Times. There's nothing but depressing news everywhere I look. Uh, so I'll just, I'll try to pick the least depressing headline of all of them. And this will give you an idea of how depressing the news is. The one I'm about to read is the least depressing headline. Battle-weary nations learn to live with COVID. That's the least depressing headline, that we're learning to live with COVID. Anyway, uh, as I do with uh, bonus guests, I always ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. So distinguished guest, take it away. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an assistant metro editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, that's exactly what she is. She's also a columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times and a very good friend of the Ben Jarowski Show. Ramana, all right, uh, when I talked to you earlier, you uh, I asked you for suggestions, things in your mind we could talk about, and uh, it was as though you read my mind uh, to uh, paraphrase Gordon Lightfoot. You said Eric Clapton. And that was like, when you said Eric Clapton, it just like triggered a response uh, with me. This, this is one of my pet peeves. It's kind of my equivalent of your Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, I, although I'm not sure you are as negative toward Gwyneth as I am toward Eric Clapton. I think Eric Clapton is the most overrated rock guitarist in the history of music. I think Eric Clapton is the most unappreciative rock musician in the history of music. Eric Clapton's whole career is based on his ability to play music that was created by black people. And he's just been hostile to black people at so many times in his life. I mean, to the point where he was quietly supporting Donald Trump. People didn't know about this in 2016. I could go on and on about Eric Clapton. But what triggered your thoughts about Eric Clapton in particular? 
Well, I think a lot of people who follow music or follow, um, you know, celebrity gossip have been following Eric Clapton's commentary since the COVID pandemic. Um, just a couple months ago, I think it was like the winter of 2020, Eric Clapton and his buddy Van Morrison put out an anti-lockdown song. So a lot of people have been talking about Eric Clapton since the lockdown started. And uh, just a few days ago, Eric Clapton um, just revealed that for any concert that he has, he said he's not going to play at any venues where people have to prove that they're vaccinated. And so that started a flood of people uh, responding to his uh, request or, you know, his his need to not play at these places where they check for vaccination. So a lot of people started going off about his like anti-lockdown song that he did with Van Morrison. And then they, you know, everybody has been ripping on Eric Clapton. And, you know, the one thing I should mention, I didn't know about it. I know you talked about it. Um, when he put out that song by Van Morrison in December or January, wherever it was, uh, a lot of people pointed out that Eric Clapton has always been um, kind of a, jerk and they pointed out to this rant that he went off on anti-immigrant anti-black rant that he went on in this 1976 show which I have to tell you I had no idea um so that went made made me go down a rabbit hole and I saw the whole rant where he basically asked if anybody in the audience was an immigrant and he said if you are raise your hand and then he started talking about how he didn't want them at his shows and didn't want them in England and wanted to keep England white and uh, he's never denied that he didn't say any of that. I think I read somewhere that there wasn't any audio recording of it, but he does admit that he did say something. And he said, well, you know, his, ex his whole excuse is that he's been, you know, he was on drugs or, but that kind of just shows you the fact that, you know, when he's high, this is what's coming out of his mouth. So it shows that this is what he's thinking all along. That's what I think. Because if you don't have those thoughts in your head, why would they be coming out? when you're totally blasted out of your mind. And so um, I have to admit, I did, uh, I do like some of Eric Clapton's songs. <laughs> I did like, uh, I do like Layla. That's my favorite song by him. Um, I never liked his version of I Shot the Sheriff. I admit it. I, I there were some songs that I liked by, <laughs> liked by him. And Layla's one of them. The funny thing is I thought that Eric Clapton, when I was younger and I heard Layla, um, I thought that he was very open-minded because Layla, the song, you know, it, the whole story is that he basically um, ended up, you know, hanging, you know, hooking up with George Harrison's then wife, Patty Boyd. And it was like this love triangle. But it's based, that song was based on a um, story that's a Persian story. It's Leila and Majnu. So any of us who are South Asian and, you know, know a lot about Persian stories knew of the story because that's, it's like, it's like, I don't want to call it the Persian or South Asian version of Romeo and Juliet, but that's what, what our cousins told us about. So when I heard Layla, I was like, I looked up, looked it up and it seemed like he read this book or read this story. And I was like, Oh, he's pretty open-minded. Then like the older I got and this year showed that he's totally not open-minded. So I think a lot of people, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about whether venues, whether concert venues or other public places where strangers are getting together have to prove that they're vaccinated. Um, I don't have a problem saying that I, have no problem with people proving that they're vaccinated because only 52% of Americans, the latest statistics show are vaccinated and our numbers are going up. The Delta variant, these are mostly the Delta variant um, 
variant of the virus. So it's not like, you know, a lot of people talk about post uh, pandemic, it's not post pandemic, it's still here. And there are people who refuse to get vaccinated. And I just think it makes us less safe. So I just think it's crazy that Eric Clapton is going off about how he, you know, he's, if anybody, he's like more vulnerable, him and his fans are more vulnerable than anyone. They're all like boomers and like elderly people coming to his shows. I mean, it's not like it's a bunch of millennials coming to see Eric Clapton. So if anybody's at risk, it's you and your fans. Uh, you could take like, you know, uh, it's like Bruce Springsteen. Bruce, what were you going to say? Yeah. Bruce Springsteen, uh, Bruce Springsteen on Broadway is requiring people to prove that they're vaccinated. And that's great because he is a boomer and all his, most of his audience members, I would say more than 50% are older people who are vulnerable, who are vulnerable to getting getting pretty sick if they get coronavirus and they're not, you know, if they're not vaccinated. And so, you know, there's a lot of people actually um, protesting outside Springsteen's Broadway show a few weeks ago, you know, people who are anti-vaxxers. So it's, it's interesting. I think you learn a lot about, I know, I know Ben and I, we talked about this offline about how these, you know, 60s and 70s stars who were, you know, tried to act like, you know, they talked about how open-minded they were and have this whole hippie image and they turn out to be anything about anything but being about love in their old age all right uh there's a lot to unpack uh and in, in what you had to say but i'm gonna just uh, start with a, a bit of a tangent uh going back to uh, the uh, eric clapton's political views in the 1970s that he articulated at a concert uh, and there's a movie that uh, it's called rock against racism i urge everybody to check it out it's about how there was a a counter movement among uh, British rockers at that time. The clash was uh, among the leaders uh, against the racism that was embedded in so much rock and roll and uh, by British. And, and here's the thing, the weird thing about Brits. And again, any Brit rocker owes his or her entire career to black people because it's black American music that are essentially using. Okay. So you guys owe it at the same time. That Eric Clapton is spewing his bile about immigrants, and he's talking about black immigrants, people from Jamaica, et cetera. Uh, although he's also also talking about Pakistani immigrants as well, but mostly the black immigrants. He was had this this crummy song, which was ab- absolute dreck. I think you were too nice to it, Ramada. Call I shot the sheriff. He utterly destroys a very good song, turns it into this garbage, and then making millions off of this uh, reggae song, and then he's trashing. Black immigrants to England, man, that's called white privilege in abundance. And uh, so I got no time for Eric Clapton. Plus, I think he's overrated guitar player. But here's the thing, uh, Romana, he's not the only one. Elvis Costello, who I know really not a fan of him, never have been. Uh, he went on some drunken tirade about Ray Charles, oh, yeah. dropped the N-word. Uh yeah. David Bowie, who I've come to like, oh. uh, he went on some drunken tirade, made a fool of himself. He had a poly. All these British guys get drunk and st- say this real stupid stuff about black people whose music they've totally pirated. And then they go, oh, sorry, man, who's drunk at the time? <laughs> What's going on there, Ramana? Help me out. Are we supposed to excuse? Oh, well, you were drunk. Are we supposed to excuse them when they say they were drunk? Well, I forgot what this publication, what publication had this article, but 
I remember the headline was about how a lot of people like black culture, but they don't necessarily like black people. And I think that's what you're seeing an example of. And you see a lot of black people talk about that or like, yeah, you know, everybody wants to, you know, listen to black music and, you know, act like they're black, but they actually don't have respect for black people, which I think is very true in a lot of cases. Um, yeah. And, and I do know about Elvis Costello going on a rant and well as, um, some, you know, and I think he used the um, N word in in a song, and John Lennon did too. He had a song that said like women are the N word of the world or something, which is makes no sense because what is that supposed to say? Like, what does he mean about black people? Like, it 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 raises a lot of questions. And I'm a huge Beatles fan, and you know, we were talking about Eric Clapton. I mean, all he was he's like wasn't his whole thing. He's emulating all these blues guitarists. That that was his thing. And he'd show up on these shows with these other blues guitarists. And so yeah, it it, it just it's just very revealing. And it makes you think about a lot of things that you just sat there. And I think a lot of the stuff was kind of, you know, brushed aside at the time. Because if I never heard about Eric Clapton's rant until this year. And that happened in 1976. Like, how come I never heard about this when I was, you know, in, in my 20s and I thought Eric Clapton was really cool? Um, it's really funny because my younger sister today, she just texted me and she told me that she was like, just had the, was driving and she mindlessly had a Eric Clapton song <laughs> playing. And then she goes like, she goes, after about a minute listening to it, she goes, why am I listening to this? And then she just yeah. turned it off. So, no, um, I, I, I'll make the concession. Layla is not a bad song, but it's all because of Dwayne Allman, the back, uh, the, the guitar player in the background. It, it, he put, he, he carried Eric Clapton in that song and that album. Everybody knows it. Uh, all right, now let's get to the, that wasn't, yeah. that wasn't Eric Clapton. That wasn't, well, no, Eric, Eric Clapton, Clapton is the singer. He wrote the song and, I um, he plays guitar, but there's a guitar in the background. I can now do the imitation, the slide guitar. They duel. There's dueling guitars in that song. Eric Clapton and a guy named Dwayne Allman, who was way before your time. He, I believe he died the year you were born, actually. Uh, Dwayne Allman died young the year you were born. So anyway, I've always said, oh, yeah, Layla's a good song. Thanks to Dwayne Allman. No, thanks to Eric Clapton. All right. That's just my cheap shot at Eric Clapton. One cheap shot deserves another. All right. Let's get to the gist, the heart of his uh, his opinion and ask you if you th see any merit to it. And uh, so he's trying to, he's struggling for some noble stand to take. And I've seen MAGA take this stand before. So uh, get your thoughts on the MAGA stand. The, the great principled stand that Eric Clapton is advocating uh, is against discrimination. Okay. So suddenly he's liking himself in some ways, like Martin Luther King d fighting against discrimination. And th this particular discrimination oh, oh. is to discriminate against people who haven't had the shot. And I'm like, what, what kind of whacked out logic is it? So are we supposed to let a, a guy with a gun on an airplane? You know, I mean, that isn't that discrimination against a guy with a gun. I mean, if it's a larger public safety issue, do we not have the right? to protect the larger public so your dumbass fans didn't get the vaccine, you know? So so what's your thoughts, Ramada, on Eric Clapton's great principle stand against discrimination? They're basically, they're basically, I have to tell you, they're basically calling it segregation. That's what they're calling it. They're calling it segregation. So it's really funny. Everybody's like, uh, these people are all of a sudden talking about uh, segregation. So they're, they're calling it segregation. That's what they're calling it. And this is actually something that we're seeing a lot from the right. 
is when they start using language that's used by that has been used by civil rights leaders. Most recently, we've seen people use the language of you know the le- the the lefties. Um, this happened actually with the Chicago resolution that you know I had talked about with you on your show um, a few months back, where uh, there was this resolution that was proposed to the city council about uh, this discrimination in India. So this group that was against this resolution. They started using language of the woke to sway the city council members and people who don't know what's happening in India. They were swayed by this language. They were talking about how the uh, sponsor of the resolution, Maria Haddon, was, you know, basically using discriminate, you know, discriminating, you know, and being anti-Indian. And it's all this language. And I'm forgetting the exact word they use, but they basically use the language that a lot of people on the left use. And so this is what a lot of people on the right or people who want to take these arguments and make it into some sort of civil civil liberty issue, which is really interesting because a lot of these people who are talking about segregation would probably be be okay with segregation if they were still, if we were here in the 1960s. And a lot of people that are talking about civil liberties, they're okay if other people of color are stripped of their civil liberties or if Muslims or other, you know, groups that they don't think belong here are stripped of their civil liberties. So it's, it's basically the right using the language that is used by the left or other people who, you know, have been working in these civil rights movements. So yeah, they're, they're, they keep talking about segregation, which is just insane. Yeah. It's projection of a sorts uh, where they're just projecting their views on other people. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I I just shook my head uh, when he when he articulated that, and I hear it a lot uh, from the right. I hear it a lot from uh, MAGA and Fox TV, et cetera, and so forth. That there's a greater liberty at stake. That people should not be required to wear masks or required to get a shot. That that violates the sacred liberty and principles uh, that our country's founded on. And I just find it so absurd. Uh, Ramana, because in everyday life, there are requirements that we have that are comparable in, in their infringement on our liberty. And the right does not question them whatsoever. And the one that I just come back to all the time is the what we go through to board an airplane. And what we go through to board an airplane, I mean, it's so invasive. You talk about liberty. Look, at that point, you go to that scanner. I was talking about this on the show the other day. They literally, there's some guy in the basement looking at you. You're naked. You know, they could see you. <laughs> and it's like, I never heard MAGA complain about that. But, you know, you say you, you got to have the shot to get to this concert. Oh, God, how can you discriminate? I, I have a theory as to why they tolerate the uh, the invasiveness of the airport Uh but what's your thoughts about that, the difference, how MAGA puts up with getting frisked at an airport, having to take their shoes off, take their belts off, go through a scanner that looks at them naked, show their IDs. Oh, they're showing their IDs to absolutely everybody. And yet, oh, my God, how dare you discriminate against us by making us get a shot? What's your thoughts about this, Romano? I don't know. I think what's going through their head is like, yeah, because this helps the, put the um, quote unquote camel jockeys away. That's the way I see it. It's like, that's why they're for that, because in the end, it mostly affects the people, you know, the brown people, right? Or the people who are believed to be Muslims. So they're, they're okay. Or pe- the pe- people that people, you know, either Muslims or mu- Muslim looking people, 
which is basically brown people because that's who's targeted. And so, yeah, they're okay with that. And, you know, there can be a big, big debate about this, but there's also, you know, we're talking about the vaccination, the language that people are using. I've seen a lot of women on the right also saying my body, my choice, which is taking also language from, you know, you know, <laughs> they're talking about, you know, basically that, you know, people who, you know, pro, the pro-choice groups. So they're using my body, my choice. And it's just like, it's just ridiculous. So I'm just saying that they're, they're using the language of the left and they're okay with being, you know, like I said, they're okay with the airport scrutiny because at the end of the day, the people who are going to be most scrutinized, the people who are going to be pulled to the side and questioned for hours are not them. So they're okay with it because they, they know it in the end, it screws people who are Muslim or it screws people over who are Muslim looking or what, what people think a Muslim looks like. Yeah, that's why. Or it gets, and uh, I agree. And uh, the other point being, they take it as a legitimate threat, whereas yeah. in their mind, COVID is not a threat. threat. Well, the, you know, the same people think that brown people are a threat, even if they walk by and say a word of Arabic, they're a bigger threat than the people who ran into the Capitol building. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the language. I mean, if there was even a group of like ten brown people or even black people who went into the Capitol building and you know, the people who are defending all the Capitol rioters are the ones that would be talking about the threats. Now that they are perceived as a threat, that's when, that's when they start using that language and the hypocrisy starts coming out. Uh, you were talking about how uh, it's post pandemic. I'm thinking this is the era we're in right now. When you said that I wrote this down is post post pandemic because we were in the post-pandemic era for like three weeks <laughs> when there was jubilation. Yay, we don't have to wear masks. And remember Lori Lightfoot did the public service announcement. I think we had fun with it about Lala uh, with Dr. Awadi. And hey, we're going to Lala, Lala Palula, woo, you know. And so like jubilation. And, uh, and now all of a sudden we're at a moment of like anybody could have predicted it. Because as you pointed out, half the country's not vaccin vaccinated, and the whole post-pandemic uh, jubilation was based on the notion that people would be vaccinated. So now we have this problem with the people who aren't vaccinated, and so <laughs> it's post-post-pandemic. So what's your thoughts? Do you think uh, employers should require uh, employees to get the shot before they come back to work? No, before I answer that question, I don't know if you heard. So Lori Lightfoot's going to be at Lollapalooza or, you know, says she's going to be there. And Dr. Arwadi, well, today J.B. Pritzker said he's going to be there, too. So oh it's, my a, it's God. a happening event. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't even like any of the music rate there. Lowers or, but, Guys, I, I anyway. hope you're wearing hazmats, okay? You don't even have suits. But uh, anyway, hazmat suits. Uh, I've been struggling with this. You know, how far do we go now? I mean, uh... well, some people are talking about, um, you know, whether, you know, there are some people on the left who are also saying, well, doesn't it violate HIPAA Act, the HIPAA Act? But then you think about kids, you know, when kids are going to school, at least in the school district where my nephews and nieces go, they have to prove that they're vaccinated when they start school. They have to turn in their vaccination forms. So I don't see how this is any different. And if it's something that can spread, and cause someone harm or even death. Like, what is the harm in doing that? I mean, I can tell you my opinion. I would be okay 
if my employers, the Chicago Sun-Times, wanted to see a vaccination card before I started work in person. I wouldn't have a problem with it, personally. And most of my friends, I don't think, would have a problem with it either. I think one of the things, um, I think at Lollapalooza, you do um, have to show that you're either vaccinated or had a um, recent, uh, I guess maybe the day before, a couple hours, like negative COVID test. And I don't think that's too much to ask when it's a huge crowd of people all together listening to music. This is a public place. It's not a private event in the, in the sense where it's just like a private party or a wedding. This is actually an event where all these strangers are coming together to do something, to listen to music. So I think this is a discussion we're going to have um, in the near future. And when I said post-pandemic, I meant to say that it isn't, there's not, no such thing as post-pandemic right now because the pandemic is still here. I'm just saying a lot of people use that term post-pandemic, but the pandemic can never left us, nor will it leave us in the near future. It's just that people are using it when the lockdowns were restricted. I think that's more of a, or the lockdown was a lifted. I think that's more of a correct terminology. So I'm saying that I don't think using the word post-pandemic is really helpful because yeah. it's still here. And like I said, only 52% of Americans are vaccinated according to an AP um, article I just saw a few days ago. Yeah, I uh, uh, everybody's struggling with this. And uh, as the only person in Chicago uh, who reads the Chicago Tribune editorials, I will now tell you how they are struggling with this. So the Chicago Tribune is a really far right wing uh, editorial board. So they, they wrote this essay the other day, this editorial. I was sort of smiling when I read it, uh, Romano, because they wanted to do the right thing and urge MAGA uh, to get a shot, but they didn't want to insult MAGA by saying how idiotic you are with your behavior. So <laughs> so they like bashed people like me who are like, and say MAGA is being dumb right now, you know? So they had a show, yeah, prove their right-wingness by bashing people like me, defending MAGA, which uh, so pandering. Oh, my God, it's so pan. When you defend someone who takes an utterly absurd point of view, Romana, and you go, well, I really respect your point of view. You say the world is flat and that there's Martians who live among us. Look, I, I could see your reason for that. That's just pandering, Tribune. You're not showing any real love for MAGA. You're just pandering. Anyway, then they end up, they go, they defended employers' rights uh, for private companies to require shots because that's private businesses. But you, the public, this is the distinction they drew. That would be a violation of the First Amendment. I go, man, you guys are all over the freaking map. Just take a stand, Chicago Tribune. You know what I mean? But everyone's struggling with it. You know, the, the right's struggling with it. And what we don't say, Romana, is the reality. It is Donald Trump supporters, by and large, who are not doing the right thing here. Nobody wants to say that. You know what I'm saying? Because it's politically incorrect. That's political incorrectness. On the other side, you're not allowed to say that, Ben, because that's insulting good, hardworking Americans. I'm just saying, Ramonic, just imagine if <laughs> go to your one of your favorite, if it was all Indian Americans who were not getting the shot. Can you imagine? You can't bring your ways to this country. Well, that's okay. I've, I've always said this from day one with Trump supporters. Everybody treats them with kid gloves for their stupidity is because they're mostly white. Um, if I'm just telling you as someone who's a person of color and someone who's Muslim, whenever a group of non-Muslims or white people think that you know, whatever Muslims say or do or believe is crazy, 
they're like, well, you're wrong, actually. And then they try to act like they're like the, the white saviors. But when it comes to like, you know, I guess because a lot of white people do have MAGA supporters. So they, they see the complexities of these personalities. But they, MAGA supporters have been treated with kid gloves. And I think any other group that ha- would have this sort of viewpoint like if there were a group of um, Nation of Islam followers, like Farrakhan supporters, and they said that I'm not getting vaccinated because this, this, and this, I guarantee you the editorials would be like, oh, these people are out of their minds because that's how it's always been. But when it's MAGA supporters, oh, these are just like hardworking Americans, good old Americans. And, you know, they're, they feel like they've been wronged because, you know, they were losing their jobs. There's all these, like, reasonings. Like, whenever a MAGA person says something, then, you know, it, like I said, it's, it's, it's just interesting the way that they've been treated. And, and if another person of color or, you know, people who weren't Christian Americans said stuff like that, I think the reaction would be completely different. But I, have to tell, I do have to tell you that before the vaccines were given out, um, they, they broke down a racial... Um, they gave uh, the survey to different racial groups. And I talked about this on your show. Indian Americans, first of all, were the ones that were kind of taking the vaccines before some of us <laughs> were supposed to get them, not me. So we are the group. I went to an Indian wedding um, a few days ago, and um, it was an Indian. Um, my friend was South Asian, and she was marrying a Mexican-American guy. And Mick, my husband and your friend, was like, oh, God, there's going to be a lot of people. I'm like, first of all, it's going to be a pared down Indian wedding. So there'll be, like, there'll be 200 people instead of 500 people. And I, go, <laughs> I can tell you, like, I, go, I can tell you, <laughs> everybody that I know is vaccinated because we are all about the vaccines. And I go, I'm pretty sure, you know, Antonio is my friend's husband's name. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he got everybody on his side did too. So don't worry about it. And then um, <laughs> the funny thing is, so there was a survey that came out before the vaccines were actually given out. And they talked to different racial groups and Asian English speaking Asian Americans were the largest group of people who were willing to take the vaccine. It was like 70 or 80 percent. So Asian Americans, we're all about the vaccines. I can tell you that much. No, I, I, I hear you. By the way, the funniest thing is happy cracking up a pared down Indian uh, wedding, 200 people. <laughs> Folks, I went, to, uh, I, it wasn't even the wedding. It was a celebration when uh, Romana and me. Yeah. There were so many people in that room. I, I, I've never seen so many people in one room. <laughs> I was like, this was before the pandemic, ladies and gentlemen. Long, I forget how many years before the pandemic. So uh, no need to be five years good yeah it's been that's how much time damn time is yeah uh but uh yeah so i um i'm 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 kind of like with mick though on this one i uh large group i think i told you this we may have talked about this show last time i went to the white Sox game last week uh with my friend adolfo and uh it was very crowded for white Sox game it's almost like a cubs game Thirty four thousand people it was fireworks night anyway I, i'm like freaking out me adolfo and i both had our masks on and we're both we both the shot but we're like, we're not messing. I mean, all these people walking around without masks. And I'm like, do I, I really felt like I'm in an alien culture that I'm not part of <laughs> my, you know what I'm saying? I'm not part of society. Cause it, I'm Adolfo. Is it just me? You and I are the only ones wearing masks right now. And uh, we took them off when we sat down, you know, because there was empty seats next to us. So we felt a little more comfortable. We were outdoors, but when we were walking through, uh, the concourse and going by all the food vendors and stuff. And it's just packed with people. We had our masks on. Don't you ever feel like you're just out of touch 
with the rest of the world, Ramana, that we live in sometimes? You ever have that feeling? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm probably like in the middle, like I'm a little less, like, I feel like if I'm vaccinated, it's good. And I have a talk. I, whenever I am indoors, I do wear a mask, like at a grocery store or at a restaurant. I try to eat outside still. But if I'm at a restaurant and we can only get indoor seating, I'll wear my mask and I'll kind of keep it on and off and it kind of goes on and off. I'm going to my first Cubs games, I have to tell you, in a few days. Um, I probably will have it off for most of the time. I feel like when you're outside, it's a little safer. Um, but I don't blame, you know, I don't blame people. But, and, but at the social event, at the wedding, I just felt like, oh, I'm all dressed up and the mask is just going to throw off that dressed up vibe, which is kind of totally wrong. But, you know, there are some people wearing the mask. Um, and I felt like, okay, everybody I know, everybody I know in this room, most of like, I have to admit most of the 200, 300 people I knew, I did know them. So, and I know that they mostly were vaccinated. So I feel, felt a little, I feel comfortable when I'm around people who I know are vaccinated and I'm with my family or friends and we're inside. But when I'm with people who I don't know, the mask goes up. So I understand, I understand it. I just think people are at different levels. I I'm, I'm in the middle, like I'm not overly, and I'm not saying, you know, you're paranoid, but I'm not overly like, oh my God, I, I think about these things, but some people are a little like, you know, there's, you know, I have a friend, I'm not going to say whose name, a colleague at the Sun Times who's still wiping down his groceries. And I told him that's overkill. <laughs> and I, I shared with him a story by the CDC that said that's overkill. And, and he's still like, he still wants to do it. So if it makes sense. It makes if it makes him feel better, I'm all for that. But so it's really funny. So we went to this wedding, and um, so my brother-in-law, my sister's husband's a doctor, and Mick is like, "Well, I'm gonna do whatever you know, so and so does because he's a doctor." But there was like a guy sitting next to me at our table who's a family friend too, and he's a doctor, and he's like, "I don't think you have to wear your mask anymore." So the d- d- doctors had different like varying degrees of what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But no, I I get it. Like I, it's this thing isn't done. Like I said, it's not post pandemic, so. I think the more cautious you are, the better. Like, I still feel weird because, you know, when I go running, I don't wear a mask anymore because, you know, the scientists said that you should be okay if you're vaccinated. So I kind of feel like I'm doing something wrong when I'm running outside and I pass someone. I feel bad. I feel a little guilty. But, I, you know, if the scientists say it's okay and, you know, Dr. Fauci is saying it's okay, then I'm, I should be okay. But yeah, I sometimes feel that too. But I still wear my mask when I'm indoors. Uh, I, uh, by the way, uh, that reminded me, our, our mutual friend, uh, Samina Mustafa, uh, she gave me such grief in the early stages of the pandemic because I, 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 when I would go for walks at night, I would not be wearing my mask. Uh, and she, uh, she was tough on this one. You got to put your mask on, Ben. And I'm like, there's no one. I'm walking down a dark street. There's no, there's not even muggers. It's nobody out here. You know, I mean, why am I wearing a mask? There's no one around. Uh, oh, so, Samina's very meticulous. I've known her since she was uh, a kid. She'd always be washed. My mom saw her in India and said she was washing her hands. This is like pre-pandemic, and my mom bumped into her. They were they ended up being in the same town, and my mom went and visited her, and she goes. And I, and Samina had never been to India for like years. So my mom's like, I go with well, Samina, like, what was she doing? Mom's like, oh, she was washing her hand, hands every time. <laughs> so that's, so I, I do uh, remember that. So, but that's good. Samina's yeah. probably right. She's like, she's looking out for me. All right. Uh, we'll close uh, with your thoughts and recommendations of a movie that was sort of a homework assignment. And uh, it's been a homework assignment that I pretty much uh, given to every guest who comes on the show. And uh, uh, we dutifully discuss it because it had such an impact on me. 
and I wrote about it for the reader. It's called The Summer of Soul. It's on Hulu. I actually saw it. I think I told you this uh, on the big screen to hear the, the nice sound. So I went to a movie theater, and yes, Ramon, I had my mask on the whole time. Uh, you watched it uh, on TV. Uh, your your Ramana recommendation on Summer of Soul. I thought it was very good. Um, I, I kind of left watching the movie a little annoyed and angry that we had Woodstock stuffed down our throats growing up. <laughs> and I had never heard about this music festival. And, you know, yeah, of course, you know, Woodstock deserves, you know, the attention. There were so many people there. It was this big cultural moment. But it just reminded me of all the things that in American history we don't talk about or we're not told about. And we are just kind of given this one version of a, you know, it, and that's all we know. It's like we only, we don't know about the history about all these other people, like all these other people of color and all the other events they did and, and the history involving, you know, particularly African-Americans in this country. It's like all that stuff gets erased. And we we're talking a little bit about Eric Clapton earlier. Um, growing up, I never knew Surfing USA was a ripoff of a Chuck Berry song. Um, and I didn't know that until my husband Mick pointed out and he had me listen to like the original Chuck Berry song. And so someone like me who has, you know, immigrant parents, they weren't listening to rock and roll music. So me and my older sister discovered all of that on our own. And so all these songs I heard from white artists, I never knew until I got older that they were, they ripped off riffs from, you know, African-Americans. And so like, I'm not saying that, you know, Woodstock doesn't deserve attention. There was definitely a lot of big names. There it was a big cultural movement. But then this like event happened in New York and it was all these like big names in music and nobody knew about it and nobody wanted to see the footage. I think at the in, during the documentary, they said that nobody was interested in hearing about black music. And I'm someone who doesn't even listen. I like, I like listening to gospel when I'm inside a church, but I'm not someone who's going to be listening to gospel records. And I was just, I was just annoyed that I was not told about this, you know, part in music history. I, I, it, that's what annoyed me. And, you know, I also told you that the fifth dimension, I never knew Marilyn McCoo was a member of the fifth dimension because <laughs> when I was a kid, like our older family friends would watch solid gold and she was one of the hosts on there. So that's how I, I'm like, Oh, I didn't know Marilyn McCoo was up. Uh, and then make is like, how do you know who that is? I'm like, well, because she was on solid gold. I didn't know she was a singer. I just knew that she was on solid gold and she was one of the hosts. Cause you know, our, our family friends would watch the show. So I, I don't know. I, it was good. I felt like I learned a lot and it was, it was kind of nice to listen to, you know, hear these musicians look back at their performances because they hadn't seen it. This was like the, this footage was basically in a basement or had never been, you know, seen before. So all these musicians are looking at their younger selves and don't remember, never saw it, never saw the tapes. And then you have, you know, people who were like kids when they went to this show um, talk about them remembering it. And so it was, it was good. It was touching. And like I said, I'm yeah. not someone who listens to gospel music or even some of the musicians on there, but it was, it was, it was fun. It was entertaining. Well, I urge everybody to watch it. That was a great uh, riff. Uh, you had me smiling there. And the, I love the fifth dimension. I, I, uh, I get teased a lot uh, by my boomer friends who are in the hard rock because, oh man, the fifth dimension, man, that's pop. But see, I love pop music. 
So I uh, just love the fifth dimension. A huge crush on Marilyn McCoo. Billy Davis is, uh, is so talented. And the, to see the two of them, I was actually tearing up when the two of them were the, in their 70s now, watching footage of themselves very young in 1969 uh, in those <laughs> outrageous 1969 costumes that they were wearing, which was like the colors of Halloween. Uh, it was the middle of July. So, uh, yeah, uh, I urge everybody to check it out. It's a great uh, glimpse of um, a world that existed when I was a kid. Now, I got to tell you this one, we will close with this. This is more your generation. I, I'm going through a um, withdrawal right now, if I can confess this uh, to you, Romana. I was obsessively following the NBA playoffs. Every night I would watch a different game. Uh, it, it captured my imagination. It kept me busy and preoccupied from May. It's been going on in May. This is like a true confession, and you're my therapist. And um, it ended on Tuesday. It ended on Tuesday. Uh, of course, Milwaukee Bucks were victorious. And as soon, immediately as soon as it was over, I was like already missing it. So last night, just I sat down. I, I, I just couldn't help myself. I was like, I'm so used to sitting down in front of the boob tube at around 8 o'clock to watch a game. I clicked on Netflix. I watched Midnight Run which is a movie from your generation, uh, gener a Generation Xer movie. 1988, I want to say the year was, Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro. And I have a confession to make. It wasn't bad. <laughs> Charles Grodin. Have you ever say, seen this movie? Was, no, but I, remember, I, I know the name, and I was going to say Robert De Niro is not Generation X, FYI. He's more your generation. But 1988 oh, is Generation X. I'm just saying, okay? That's when the movie came out. 1988 is Generation X, but we, didn't, we were too young to make movies then. I'm just saying it wasn't made by Generation X. Or no, but it, was, it would have been watched by it. Uh, yeah. Point well taken. I don't, Groden, I don't watch it. I don't watch it. Okay. Well, Groden is... Uh, that was the first time I've made a reference to a pop culture from the 80s that you did not watch. Uh, but you're right. Everybody involved with this movie is a boomer. The writer, the director, the actors, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and I'm not recommending it to anybody. It, in many ways, it's horribly dated. The boomers did all our movies. The boom I mean, so I was going to say, the boomers did teenage movies for our generation. That doesn't mean that they really, you know, there were some that were good at it and some that weren't as good at it. So I'm just, I'm making yeah. the point. I did come out when I was a teenager, but. I didn't watch yeah. a lot of 80s movies. I didn't watch Top Gun, and I'm very proud of the fact that I don't never watch that. So well, there's some. By, there's some by the way, uh, uh, a guy that uh, who's we talk about a lot in this show, you uh, tease me for liking his movies. Quentin Tarantino. One of the inter he gave an interview. And I can't remember where it was. Uh, it may have been a Joe Rogan's show, but he gave an interview and he trashed 80s movies. Now. You might say, oh, well, that's self-serving because that was a generation right before he started making movies. Fair enough. But he trashed them. He said they were too politically correct, that they uh, didn't take chances. Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, and, and then, like, so, the, of course, the groundbreaking revolutionary movie, uh, you know, or, or his that came out and, and ended it, uh, Pulp Fiction, et cetera, and so forth. But uh, so, I don't know, kind of, like, Watching that 80s movie, I could see what he was saying because it, it had a lot of stereotypical moments where you had to have a nice ending. You couldn't bend the ending in any way to be edgy. Uh, and uh, it was dated. But I got to admit, Charles Grodin cracks me up. So there's, I'm not, that's not a recommendation. That's a mostly a, a plea for help. 
without basketball, oh, I don't know what I'm going to. That's okay. That's okay. Um, you can watch the USA women's basketball team. Um, Jewel Lloyd is a Lincolnwood native, is on the USA basketball team. So not to like point out that there's a lot of famous people from Lincolnwood, but she is going to be, uh, she's going to be playing, she's playing for the women's team. So you can watch her. You know, but I did, you, I did you watch, I I did watch the last game where the Bucks clinched it, and I was cheering for the Bucks because my niece lives in Milwaukee now. She goes to school there, and she was actually outside the stadium. And uh, like a true Chicago snob that she is, she said that Milwaukee wasn't prepared for a celebration <laughs> for a victory because she said the fireworks were late. And she said they're just really unorganized. But I go, you know, at least there was no, um, you know, crime. It seemed like they kept it under control. And she's like, yeah, it could have been a lot more fun, but they made it boring. And I was like, don't complain. She she cheers for all the Chicago teams. And when the Bulls were out of it, then she's like, okay, that's when I'm going to start cheering for Milwaukee. So her her whole uh, strategy is like, if there's no Chicago team in the playoffs, I cheer for Milwaukee. Otherwise, I will always cheer for a Chicago team over no. I, I, I'm with her 100%. Let me just say this about that. Longtime basketball fan, I've found basketball since the 60s. I was around. I was alive. I watched the Bucks' first uh, championship in 71. I saw when they lost in 74 to the Celtics in 7. It's been a long drought for Milwaukee, so congratulations, Milwaukee. But I'm going to say something, Cheeseheads. You know I'm saying the truth here. 99% of you are bandwagon jumpers. You jumped on this bandwagon. Oh, you never watched the Bucks, And I know this. I know cheeseheads. You were like, well, I don't watch the Bucks. I'm, I'm a Packer fan. <laughs> You're all Packer fans. Now you're hating on the Packers because Aaron Rodgers is about to desert you. They're about to be terrible. And you're suddenly, you got your little Fear of the Deer t-shirts and hats. I'm on to you, cheeseheads. That said, congratulations, Milwaukee, for winning the championship. All right, Ramana. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation today, particularly just allowing me to vent about Eric Clapton. Uh, <laughs> you have no idea how much I've found that guy annoying over the years. And my fellow boomers who just idolize him, I'll never understand that at all. But um, there's so much of my generation I don't understand. So anyway, thank you for allowing me to vent on Eric Clapton. You're welcome. All right. That's the great Ramon Hussein. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone. Take care.